This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. We had a bit of a frenzied debate last night on the show surrounding Novak Djokovic. And I think we were all really, at least in this studio, in agreement, Chris. I think we were. I mean, I don't really see and I don't even think the most hardened of Novak Djokovic fan out there and I know there are many and we've seen that on social media today certainly some of the the responses to our video that we posted up of our discussion last night I I don't really think that there is a leg to stand on the rules are there it's black and white yes we established last night that it wasn't intent there was no real malice there he did what he did and he had the book thrown at him and I think we can all agree 99.999% of us it was right yeah there have been some dissenters on social media that have criticised us for Piling in on the, the other things, the arrogance, perceived arrogance of, of the, the staging of the Adria Tour, the founding of this new association for men's tennis, the, the anti-vaccination views and all this sort of stuff. And it's just, I suppose, it really just paints a picture of fantastic gear on the court, not such Muddled. a great year off yeah. the court for Novak. And he'll mm. be back. And I'm sure I totally don't agree with John McEnroe, who says that he's going to be tarnished with this brush for the rest of his career. I think absolutely he can redeem himself, as we've seen with Nick Kyrgios, who was the bad boy of tennis and is now somewhat of a, a moral bastion <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I, I think you will never be able to change some people's opinions. Nick no. Kyrgios, uh, and I think he will, uh, I still think of Nick as a bit of a pillock before I do a bastion yeah. of sensibility, yeah. if but I'm he's, honest. He's, he's, he's brought the pendulum back in his favour. Yes, he in has. In terms of public opinion, yeah. he has, When it, you know, as I say, there'll always be those hardcore fans who won't hear a bad word about their player. Mm. And uh, I think it's just fair to say that, you know, we try to, when, when praise is due, give praise. When criticism is due, give criticism. I don't, I don't really understand tr- what the issue I like to with think that is. I like to think we're... We're pretty fair. We're pretty balanced across most things. And Nicholas says the only issue he had with that video was your sweater, Chris. Yeah, sorry, Nicholas. <laughs> needs must, and I've actually having. Don't uh, worry, he forgot it today. Yeah, He's wearing mine now. <laughs> I poo-pooed Robbie's sweater at five o'clock, but uh, two hours have passed. I've now got said sweater on because it is Baltic in here. We see it day in, day out. If the bosses are listening, please pay the bill. It's cold. So, yes, Nicholas, the sweater is offensive. I do apologise for that with a pink shirt underneath. I mean, I'm winning no style awards, but it kept me warm, and that's the main thing. That's it. And, again, yeah, I think that there's a, there's a discrepancy to be made on the no- Novak thing, and we will move on from this because it's, I tell you what, it's a fascinating quarterfinal on both the men's and women's yeah. side of the draw at Flushing Meadows. Vikas is saying you can't change a discipline rule. Yeah, exactly that. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's where you... Where you bring other things into the conversation, where you try to make links, where you, you try to sort of, you know... You, 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 but, but you do. But look, look, I mean, to be honest, I think that a lot of the frustration, perhaps, and the, 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 the general tense, prevailing mood surrounding him has been born out of criticism of things that he's done this year. I think he's had- I think the, the one dissenter on our social media who, who's had uh, taken umbrage, shall we say, with that, I think the clip that was popped up is a little out of context. It's one and a half minutes or less, one, one minute, ten seconds of our much longer conversation. You were merely adding context to say it has not been a great year when you take into consideration his involvement in the Adria Tour. What we have to do is look at that incident, as we did last night in isolation, no matter whichever way you slice it, he did wrong, 
he was deserving of the default, the disqualification being kicked out of the US Open. We all agree with that. Maybe Alistair to Cumbridge a little bit with it to say, well, what's the difference? And we worked through that last night. But he's out. He's apologised for it. I and doffed he's actually my cap. today. I doffed uh, my cap to him, Novak, about yeah. posting, saying, hey, listen, to my fans, to my legion of Jocko fans, please just rail it back because the the lineswoman, the, the lines judge in question, Laura Clark, she does not need some of the vitriol. And some of it has been, been beyond the pale. I mean, my goodness, some of the stuff I've been reading, it's like, get a grip. Please get a grip with yourselves. You can love your man. You can be a Djokovic fan until the cows come home. But be sensible. Have a little bit of self-respect and dignity and don't go after her because... Yeah, and don't be blinkered, you know. Yeah. Just have the ability to discern when when something is not the greatest. You know, it doesn't mean that he's a bad bloke or that he's not one of the most greatest, one of the greatest tennis players who've ever lived. But he, he definitely messed up. Yeah. Just If you're a fan of his, you kind of have to take his side, his line of... of, of what he's decided to do, Absolutely. which is basically to hold his hands up and say, yep, I messed up. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure he'll come roaring back and I'm sure he'll use this whole experience as extra fuel to the fire because he is determined to finish on top of the pile and I still back him to do that. And as you heard from Reem Abelale, who, who of course was close to the Djokovic camp last night, I mean, she said, if anyone can turn a situation like that into a positive, it is Novak. He is very much the under siege, that m- mm. mentality. He's the Jose Mourinho. A little. The Fergie. Of the tennis world. He's genius at it as well. The rest of the world is against me, therefore I use that as fuel to prove them wrong and to take me to heights that were never deemed, or at least I didn't deem possible. Uh, so Novak will be back. I'm with you on that front, Rob. And uh, we move on, because as you rightly point out, the quarterfinal lineup. It's an absolute doozy. Well, we want your opinions on various things tonight, so we want you to get in touch with us if you would be so kind. James Rodriguez has been signed by Everton, and that has sparked a little question in our office, at least, as to what the most bizarre or strange footballing transfer was. I've got loads of these, but let me just throw one at you, Chris. (laughs) Okay, Gennaro Gattuso to Rangers. Yeah. I remember that, that Salernitana. There's a club from <laughs> blast from the past. A young, I think he was 19 at the time. He was. I actually interviewed Ali McCoist about Gattuso. It was Walter Smith who took him to Italy, uh, took him from Italy to Glasgow. He only spent a year in Glasgow, the little pit bull, and he would go on, of course, to win the World Cup with Italy. He would go on to become the water carrier to Andrea Pirlo in that AC Milan team as well. But that year in Scotland, it toughened him up, and he actually married a Scottish lass from Glasgow who the family, Italian uh, descent, uh, whose family owned a very popular restaurant business in Glasgow, went on to marry her and actually have a few kids. One more. Here's one more. And there's been so many, I've got a list of them here. And we'd love to hear your suggestions on the weirdest, the most bizarre, the most unlikely transfer that you can recall in footballing history. How about this one? Bojan Kerkic to Stoke City. Love it. Yes, Barcelona. Pint-sized is what he was always the new called. Messi. Diminutive little forward. <laughs> Heck of a finisher. Fox in the box. Stoke City. And actually did well. 
There was an 18-month spell where he actually did all right. I don't then... recall him doing well. I recall him putting him in my fancy team, hoping he'd do well, and he oh, never seemed to. What a little player he was. Yeah, there's loads. There's absolutely loads. So we'd love to hear from you on that front. Everton signing Hammers Rodriguez. I mean, who... Rob, honestly, you saw that goal, and uh, uh, regular listeners will know. You've yeah, I was in the stadium. You yeah. were in the Maracanã, that amazing goal. <laughs> against it was. Uruguay, Colombia-Uruguay? It was against Uruguay. Incredible finish, 2014 World Cup. If someone had tapped you on the shoulder then and said, see that kid there, he's going to sign for Everton in a few years' time, you would have laughed. Well, it was interesting because... No disrespect to him. At the time, I don't actually know what side he was playing for at the time. He would have been Porto or Monaco. He got his move to Real Madrid not long after it. Right, so I think okay. he was. I think he was Monaco. Yeah, he um, was Monaco. He was. He was a. For, I think for the layman, for the sort of the, the armchair football fan, he was something of a, a bit of a whirlwind. He took that World Cup by. He was by, top goal scorer. He was. I mean, I, I, he kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. I, I know that it's not the same as it was back in the, the halcyon days of the 1980s when it comes to sort of emerging sort of who are they kind of superstars. But I did feel like James Rodriguez was like, oh, okay, um, he is quite some player and of course you know he puts that in the shop window Real Madrid swoop in yeah and he actually I mean when you look at his his stats they're not that bad they don't make for that bad a reading he scored 29 goals in 85 appearances for Real he's a 10 as well and he scored 14 goals in 43 appearances for Bayern Munich now both of those occasions he was signed by Carlo Angelotti who's brought him to Merseyside yeah and, and given the fact as well he comes hand in hand with another South American in the shape of Allen, the wonderfully named Brazilian called Allen, who's at the heart of their midfield now, the 29-year-old. So he's bought old, I say old, 29 is not old, but he's bought experience South in South American Allen. Everton now with Richarlison. Right, Richarlison in there, you've got Bernard, a little diminutive Brazilian as well in there. They are, there's a South American flair. Yeah, Yeri Mina, the Colombian as well, the centre-half. That's right, yeah, because Everton were for so long quite a sort of British, under David Moyes, I always felt, you know, it was your Leighton Baines and that, those kind of players that were... <laughs> what are you saying here? There was a real British spine. There was a sort of British bulldog, bulldog yeah. kind of the, the character to Everton. Yeah. You know, that players that are associated with Everton, and I'm even thinking Wayne Rooney, when he burst onto the scene, were British bulldogs. Yeah, they were. Now, it's... A little bit of Latin flair. A little bit of Latin flair has been brought... To Goodison Park. Yeah, I'd love to hear from Everton fans. I know there are one or two that listen to us. And Abdoulaye Ducari, Ducari as well, the, the, the French midfielder who I know has got his fans in the Premier League. He looks as if he will join from Watford, relegated Watford, of course. So Alan Ducari and James Rodriguez, potentially fantasy gold right there, Robert Greenfield. Let me throw another random, bizarre transfer to you. JJ Okocha to Bolton. Yeah, what a move that was. So good they named him twice, JJ, and he lit up. He lit up the then Reebok under Sam Allardyce. But with them, you could throw in Yuri Joykayev, went to Bolton, yeah. Ivan Campo, Fernando Hierro. Janino to Middlesbrough. Janino at the time. Fabrizio Ravanelli. Yeah, to Ravanelli. I remember his debut oh, against Liverpool. Yeah, he scored yeah. a hat-trick. He did. Gravison to Real Madrid. Yeah, that was bizarre in the extreme. Thomas Gravison, a very odd character, a colourful character, who I think is actually now a professional over in Las Vegas. Is that That's right? where he is now. <laughs> is he? When I say professional, not playing football. Oh, OK. Uh, that is bizarre. Um, Royston Drenthe. Yeah, Royston Drenthe. Another great shout. Ended up at Everton. 
You, you mentioned James Rodriguez had a spell as well. Did in actual fact, Royston Drenthe had a spell over here with Banias, if memory serves me correct, the Dutchman again. Bit of a bizarre. I think he actually did an interview in which he admitted that he doesn't really like football. Kevin Prince Boateng to Barcelona. That was bizarre. Yeah, because he was on not necessarily the way. A bit of a nomad nomadic player was Kevin Prince Boateng. You, you may recall popped up at Spurs, popped up at Pompey, was then over at AC Milan in Italy as well and then I think he was back over in Germany for a spell and then yeah Barcelona very odd didn't stay long Martin Braithwaite is another one the Dane Middlesbrough via where did he go after Middlesbrough Toulouse then he got his move to Spain and then he ended up at Barcelona I mean that's random this is random as well Roberto Mancini to Leicester City remember that well as well, yeah. Martin O'Neill. I don't remember decided. that. He was 36 at the time yeah. and he played three games. Yeah. Then decided to retire. <laughs> so they didn't really get their money's worth. Dave Best. I'm sure he moved on a free. Um, what about this one? Uh, Joey Barton to Marseille. Yes, very strange. If you haven't watched the video, if you think Steve McLaren pretending to be Dutch is funny, <laughs> then you've got to check out Joey Barton with his French lilt as he's trying to give an interview. That was, again, bizarre. The bad boy, of course, Man City, well documented his problems there and then ended up in the south of France for a spell. Bizarre. We are going to talk Ross Braun and his plans for F1, which are to be resisted, I'm sure, with full force by Toto Wolff and Mercedes, who have no interest in any kind of new shake-up to their complete dominance of the sport. We will do that. But I first want to talk about uh, the, the draws in the US Open tennis, Chris, because they are. And someone actually that I, I bumped into this morning said, this is just a vision of what tennis is going to be like in two to three years' time, when well, the big three are not playing. And, and looking at it... Um, there are matches to, to get excited about, and there's that, there's that unpredictability, which I think Ross Braun is trying to bring in to Formula One, but I'm not sure I'm overly enthused by the sort of complete randomness of it. Oh, no, you say it's random. Other than, and with the greatest of respect to Pablo Carena Busta, if you were to substitute him for Felix Alicien, the young Canadian, that is your... That's your future. That's your future eight. Denis Shapovalov, the young Canadian, born of Chorich, who we saw really come to the fore here when he beat Andy Murray in mm. Dubai a few years back, the young Croat. Alexander Zverev flying the flag for Germany. A young man, inconsistency, OK, is an issue, but he is a heck of a talented individual. You've got the two Russians. I remember speaking to Reem back when we were colleagues at Sport360 many years ago about Andrei Rublev, who did win the next gen. He's finally you know, coming of age against Daniel Medvedev, who's come out of nowhere in the last 12 months. And then you've got Alex Diminur, the Aussie, who Andy Murray a few years back said he's the one for him to watch against Dominic Team. That's seven, taking out Pablo Carena Busta, if I can, that seven are the future of men's tennis. And you know what? You can say, oh, it's a bit mundane and all the rest of it. The only way that that gets exciting is that the, these rivalries start now. If these guys can produce some fireworks, if there can be a bit of needle between Rublev and Medvedev, you know, two Russians, you know, if there can be a little bit of needle between Diminur and team, the only way we can get over... And but listen, it needs needle, it just needs great matches. It needs great matches, but equally it needs for, the, for these guys to meet in the latter stages of Grand yeah. Slams, to build I, that narrative. I think the disappointing thing for me is that there's been no takeover, there's not been any coup, you know, when... Uh, 
when Federer beat Sampras in 2001, that was an announcement that the Sampras era was, was about to be closed down by this incredible Swiss talent. And I think just the fact that Dominic Team is now in his mid-20s, the fact that Daniil Medvedev is, what, 24, I think he is. Still Alex Verev is young. Tw- he's 24. I mean, he's not that young for a tennis player. By the age of 20, Novak had already won his first Grand Slam. By the age of 21... Roger Federer had already won his first Grand Slam. What I'm saying is that none of these guys are, to what I can see, generational talents. Um, they're mm. not, because, because otherwise, if they were, they would have beaten no, but one of the big three by the, now. No, not necessarily, they, they would have, because you're talking about the three greatest players to ever play yeah, the game, yeah, Rob. It's in their, mid, in their mid to times. late 30s. It's unique times. They are that good. We talk about Federer, Nadal and Djokovic being the yeah, best exactly. we've ever seen. They're, they are three generational talents have all come along at once. I don't see a generational talent amongst these because they've had their chance. Oh, Daniil Medvedev, Medvedev had his chance to beat Nadal. He went to five sets in the, in the US Open last year. Dominic Team had his chance, a wonderful chance, to beat Novak Djokovic in the Australian Open earlier this year and failed to do so. My point is that in the biggest moments when these young players have had their opportunities, they've not taken them. And in the past, you have seen changings of the guard. You've seen young players come on the scene who have essentially just wrestled authority away from the older generation. Roger Federer did it to Andre Agassi. He humiliated him in the final of a US Open when he was 22. You've not seen that amongst these guys. I'm not saying they're not great players. I'm just saying that amongst them, there isn't, there's not a talent that we're going to be talking about in 20 years' time. I disagree completely. Completely disagree. Shapovalov's 21, Chorich is 23, Rublev's 22, Alex Dimonur is 21 years of age, Rob. Those guys, Nadal, Djokovic and Federer, are done in the next two, three years. We are looking at, in that group of eight... Busta, Shapovalov, Chorich, Zverev, Rublev, Medvedev, Dimonur and team. In that eight men, we're looking over the next decade. There's, there's 20 Grand Slams between those eight. 15 to 20. There's no doubt in my mind. They are the future. That is the next decade at those ages. You say Medvedev's old at 24. Team, I take your point, 26, I think he is. But 21, 22, 23, 21. Zverev's what, 22? Rob, that's the next 10, 12 years before a year, that's 50 slams. Yeah, man, they're, they're going to win 20 easily. I'll make a little friendly wager with you now. Those eight men, are, are, and one of those, maybe even two of those, will be multiple. They'll be between five and ten in the next decade. Mm, it's hard to see it. Just, it's, it's hard. Well, but yeah, the, again, who, who are, who are going to come through? I just wonder whether someone might come through in the next couple of years. Who's, the, the one that's who, missing, the one that's who really excites me is, is Ali Siem, the, the young Canadian who was beaten by out of those who did beat him. Was it Medvedev or Diminur? The young Canadian, anyway, who is, uh, again, someone who has got the lot. And he's only, what, 18 or 19? Just quickly, who is your, uh, not your money, oh, but your tip? Your tip? I mean, the smart money's on team, but you know me, well, my smart money, Medvedev. I think I agree with you. I, I, well, he's, he's the guy with the pedigree at the US Open. He got the final last year. And I think the court suits his game a little bit more 
than it suits the game of Dominic Team. But we will see. The women's draw equally interesting, and that's because Naomi Osaka, the fourth seed, and Serena Williams, the number three seed, who of course met memorably a couple of years ago in a very controversial final, they are still on track to meet in the final on the weekend. Jennifer Brady is taking on Julia Putinseva in the first quarter final. Osaka will play the unheralded American world number 98, Shelby Rogers. And then Pironkova is playing Serena Williams, the Bulgarian who is unseeded, with Victoria Azarenka taking on Elise Mertens in the final one of those quarterfinals. So it all looks set, and there are many upsets, particularly when it comes to the unpredictable nature of the women's game. But it all looks set that we might get to see Osaka versus Williams, the two biggest names undoubtedly in women's tennis right now. Weston McKenney to Juventus is uh, a name that's cropped up. <laughs> yeah. This is Renjith. American Schalke midfielder, good player. And he has joined Andrea Pirlo's first signing for Juventus. Season-long loan, option of a permanent deal. Yeah, watch him fly. Big fan of Weston McKenney, who was linked with Southampton. And then, albeit he ends up with the grand old lady of Turin. Bit bizarre, but... Yeah, that is a signing this summer to keep an eye on next season. We are going to head to the phone lines now because, well, the last time we spoke to this certain gentleman, I believe he was running an absurd distance in his back garden. In his back garden. That's do you exactly remember? It. Yeah, I do. During this those the crazy height, times. the height of the lockdown. Crazy times, right? And he's got another piece of exciting information that you guys can get involved with. He is, of course, the captain of Adidas Runners, and his name, of course, is Lee Ryan. Lee, a very good evening to you. Lovely to hear from you again. Good evening, gents. How are we doing? Yeah, very well, Lee. Great, Lee. And, of course, well, when we speak to you, it's usually... In, involving some kind of death-defying run, but this one, this one seems a little bit more manageable. This seems like the kind of thing that Chris and I could even get involved with. Or are we speaking too well, soon? Well, you said it now, so that means you have to get involved, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, Rob. We may Rob. well. We may well have to. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. And Chris, to be fair, ought to be up for it. Yeah, because what is it, Lee? Give us the details. Sunday, you're getting people so it, moving again. Yeah, getting moving again. It's been a wild old time, hasn't it, over the last few months, and obviously. With everything kicking off again, with obviously the authorities doing such a grand job in the UAE, they've allowed us to start getting back outside, feel a bit more confident. I know a few sports clubs have started their pre-season. So we have the Adidas running uh, global virtual 5K. So it's free for everyone to get involved. It's virtual. So with that, the ease of that, you can do it anytime, anywhere. If it's on the treadmill before school, however that school scenario may be for your family after work, or you can come and meet up with some friends that you haven't seen in a while and just get that body moving again. The temperature's dropping a tiny bit. We just need to download the Adidas running app and sign up to the event and you just enjoy it. And I would probably, I'm over the moon that it's 5K, if I'm honest. I'm a bit daunted by it. So it's been, the kids are back in school. It's been a bit of a rough ride. So I'm more than happy just to run 5K on Sunday. Just do it when I can and just enjoy the process of starting again and obviously try and maintain that over the next few months. Yeah, Chris and I have been sweltering out on the golf course in, uh, in, in some pretty humid conditions, it's fair to say, Lee. But what, what's it been like since we last spoke to you? And when we did last speak to you, it really was at the height of the kind of lockdown scenario whereby we were all cooped up indoors and, and you took to running in your back garden. Have, has the running community been re-energised? Is, is there, when you look ahead to the season, is there optimism amongst the running community that, that things will get back to some sort of degree of normality? Yeah, there's, lo there's lots of excitement, there's lots of nerves, there's lots of anticipation. Obviously, there's still races around the world that are still getting cancelled, but 
obviously with all the sports leagues start, starting up again, there is confidence. Uh, we are taking very small steps just to merge back into it. Obviously, with the restrictions, the heat is still there. Over the last few months, people have been trying, but I think people have definitely put um, the humidity as a, at the forefront and saying, I don't need to do too much just yet. But obviously now, if everyone can get involved, we're looking to try and get as many people involved in this. It's simple enough. As I said, you can, you can walk out your door and run around your block with your kids if you need to. Um, but I think people are still very sceptical about stepping outside and coming together. People are a bit unsure. People have their own scenarios to deal with. And I think this is the perfect opportunity, especially with all the news of the world record the other day, one of our assets breaking the female half marathon world record in the new Adidas running shoe. People are starting to get a bit motivated and a bit yeah. inspired. They're seeing the world is waking up a tiny bit. So they're, they're almost willing to put themselves out there. Uh, and there's a perfect day to start, and that's on Sunday. Now, of course, Lee, 5K, it is manageable, I think is the word to use. That, I'm sure, won't be daunting to too many people, 5K. And as you rightly point out, you can do it in the confines, the comfort of whether that's a treadmill in your local gym, whether it's on, as a lot of people did during lockdown, whether it's on your balcony, and I know I did that whilst uh, we were all in lockdown. What are the details? What time? What do people need to do in order to be a part of this? So the, the best way to do it is download the Adidas running app. That's a free app. Just It's on Android and it's on Apple. Um, so download it. Go into the community section. Once you put your details in, there will be a ready-to-run event, which is the Global 5K. So the entire Adidas community around the world is getting involved. Sign yourself up anytime, anywhere on Sunday from 12.01 a.m. here. So from one minute past midnight up until uh, midnight in the evening. You can do it anytime, anywhere. Have a look for the Adidas Running Adidas Runners page on Facebook. Contact me on Instagram on Lee M. Ryan. And just come and say hello if you feel you want to come and say hello to the community. If not, just take it on your own terms. Take your wife out, take your husband out, whatever it may be. And just, just get moving, enjoy it, be happy. Um, and maybe reward yourself with a brand new running shoe on Monday because the, the brand new record-breaking shoe is out on it is. Monday in all stores in the UAE. Okay, so that record-breaking shoe will be... They won't have my size, unfortunately. <laughs> well, will they? What's your size again? 14 US. 14 US, Lee, do you know? Can you speak to distributors, <laughs> retailers? Consider it done. Consider yeah. it done. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> that, that's, that, I, I, was, that wasn't, I wasn't fishing there, I promise. You'll be sorted, Rob. <laughs> Can I ask as well, Lee, you are a bit like the Pied Piper. Wherever you go, a lot of your running companions and comrades go with you. What time will you be doing the 5K virtual run uh, out of interest? Um, I'll be doing it early morning. I'll be doing it at 6 o'clock um, on the beach track. So I'll be going down there with a few people. Obviously, we're still, for people that are listening, Anyone that is curious about that, we still observe the social distancing. We still ask people to wear masks. We're still, safety is paramount when it comes to that. But obviously, we understand that we can start moving outside. So I'll be down on the beach track at 6 a.m. with some of the Adidas running crew. But there will be various runs around the city as well. So keep an eye on the app and on the Facebook group. And then you're more than welcome to join and come and get some more information. And on that front, Lee, with safety paramount, what are your hopes for this season in terms of the communal runs that, that we're so used to staging here in the UAE, the half marathons, the 10Ks, the marathon itself? What, what are your... We've spoken about how a lot of these events, from a professional standpoint, will be held behind closed doors. But as we know, there are very few events that bring people in close proximity with one another than a, than a mass run. So, so what, do you, what do you hope can be achieved in the next six months from that perspective? Uh, I think there is a possibility. I know there's a lot of events that are put out into the calendar already about signing up. 
Um, I know um, a lot of these race organisers will take it very diligently. In previous years, there could be a, an aspect of trying to get as many people in as many as possible to get that registration and get the, the race fees in. But I now I know if we want to do it safely and we want some longevity with that type of fitness and the races, we need to do it very carefully. I know the people that are involved, they're, they're being very careful. There's no rush um, I know a lot of individuals want to get out there. That that sign of race day, that getting a race day medal seems to be the, the, the nail in the coffin to say I'm a success. But I think it's just a part of the process. And when it happens, it happens. But I don't think there's any rush. I don't think we need to be pushing it. There's a lot more things going on um, in the world. And it's all about that mental health and just general health awareness right now. Just to stay healthy, stay safe, look after your loved ones. And if the opportunity arises where you do feel able enough to go and race if it is running or start playing football start playing netball do so and just keep it fun just keep it happy keep it easy keep it fun and i think that's the the mentality just to have some longevity and and keep it easy as we go through we've got our fingers crossed for sure looking out for how things will develop in the future for now though lee enjoy sunday i'm sure a lot of people will get involved as they always do head to the app download it and uh, take part in the virtual run it's fantastic to have you on the show again lee thank you guys thank you for having me top stuff cheers lee great stuff from lee ryan adidas running captain and uh yeah, yeah, there's billboards, or there was billboards of that man on Shakeside Road as well. Were, yeah. And uh, we thankfully didn't talk Liverpool Football Club because he's a <laughs> Liverpool fan for his sins as well as we. Right, we've just got time to discuss Ross Braun's theory, at least, or his suggestion for trying to make Formula One more competitive. And essentially, it's a race before a race. That's exactly it, Rob. And we don't know quite sure how many laps that Saturday race would have. But essentially, what you would do uh, before qualifying, you would have a little mini race. You would have out in front, starting on pole would be the individual. Well, this would be qualifying, presumably. This would be in lieu of qualifying, would it not? Saturday race. So, so uh, the way I interpret it, and I could be completely wrong here, is that you would have a race whereby top of the championship standing starts at the back. Correct. Bottom of the championship Correct. standing starts in pole. And then wherever they finish in that race is where they start on the grid for the main race. Is that, or have I got that completely wrong? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what it would be. So qualifying gets ditched. It's a mini little race. Uh, they reverse it. So Lewis Hamilton, for example, would start at the bottom of the grid. Uh, 20 laps, let's say 15 laps, whatever it finishes, the result, that is then your starting position for Sunday's main race. Which, listen, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I, I think... The idea, and it was Mark Archer's, and I've taken this and I've ran with it for many months, I still think is the best way to do it. You have qualifying as still is every Saturday. You still do qualifying. Uh, you can still have your three, your three different uh, stages of it. And essentially what you then do is, and you could, do the, you could do so much social media with this, you then say if Lewis Hamilton, for example, let's use the Italian Grand Prix this past week's yeah. race as an example, Lewis Hamilton qualifies on pole position, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, Valtteri Bottas is second, Max Verstappen is third. At the end of qualifying, you bring Lewis in, and you say, right, Lewis, as you were the quickest, you get to choose what slot you want to be in on Sunday's race. If he says, well, you know what? This Monza track actually suits Mercedes. I'm going to start from the back. You then go to Valtteri, right? Lewis is in 20th. Where do you want to start? I'm in the Mercedes. I'll start 19th. You go along that way. Once you have 
selected 20th and 19th. You cannot, therefore, be in that position for the other 20 races. You lock it in at 20 drivers, you lock in 20 races, and essentially what you're saying is every single driver in that uh, Formula 1 season will start in 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, all the way down to 20th. You make it fair that way. So every single person... So qualifying still matters because that gives you control over where you want to be. You get to choose. I want, I'm choosing sixth this week. Okay, we chalk off Hamilton. He's going sixth on Sunday. He won't be in sixth in any other races. He wants to go on pole today. You'll never be on pole for the rest of the... And that means it's fair across the board. Every single driver will be at first at some point in the 20 race season. They'll be second at some point. They'll be third all the way down to 20th. And if you do that, I think there's so much intrigue in that. Because ta- real then, tactic come into play. Does it make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I, I quite like Braun's idea as well. Reverse I think, it. I think um, you you would concertina the field. You would you would there would not be a runaway. I think the, obviously we we know stating the obvious. The problem at the moment is that Mercedes is is by far the superior car. Mercedes has the best driver, and it has another top driver. And they're just they are controlling the race from exactly where they want to be, which is pole position. So there's no there's there's no unpredictability. There's there's no drama. I mean, there is drama in F1, and there has been. Obviously, Gasly wouldn't have won if there hadn't been drama. But fundamentally, it's all a little bit played out before mm. it's even really started. And there's that that there's that kind of oh here we go again feel to it. I I think that you. What would be really good with the reverse races, Saturday's race in itself would be an event because that would be so much drama as you watch Hamilton try to work his way through. To get to the highest a, point possible. Yeah, I think, you know, then, then you would have incredible encounters between even Bottas, Hamilton, Verstappen, who are all starting near the back and they're all trying to pick their way through. I think you would get some very exciting qualifying races and this idea that they just qualify and the, 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 the raw speed of the cars and the speed of the drivers just shows up every time. And unless you are botching it, unless, you, like Ferrari, you're, you're just having a bit of a nightmare, the, the, the best teams, the most well-backed finance teams and, and the, the historically the, the greatest teams will always dominate that, that kind of preordained situation. So... I, I, I can see your, your idea. And, and someone said you wouldn't need qualifying for the last race of the season. You're absolutely right, you wouldn't, because obviously you would then all slot in the drivers exactly where they haven't been for the other 19 races. It's mm. locked in there. That would be the, absolutely, as that texter said, that would be, I guess, the one drawback from it, qualifying in that final race. And I know Abu Dhabi spend a pretty penny ensuring that they've got the final race for the season, but I think you can ditch qualifying once to ensure a far more exciting championship and I yeah. think by mixing up this qualifying whether it's the reverse grid or whether it's that idea would certainly go a long way in giving Formula 1 a shot in the it's arm. nice to see that the sport is moving in I think that general consensus it's really only Mercedes but I think from next year you don't have to have a, a total majority you don't have to have every single you don't have to have a unanimous vote so I think a majority vote will count next year and that could push a new rule as put forward by Ross Braun through. We've run out of time, uh, but we will, of course, be back for more Off Script from 5 o'clock tomorrow, so do remember to tune in then. And, uh, yeah, we will catch you then. Until then, enjoy the rest of your evening. Good night. night. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to dubaieye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.